Welcome to Holistic Wellness, a podcast exploring the science and metaphysics of health and wellness. I'm your host, Brandi Searcy, founder and formulator at Rain Organica, where you'll find holistic skincare in one simple routine. The reason for the myth that FDA doesn't regulate the cosmetics industry comes from generalizing the truth that FDA only bans 14 ingredients from skincare. What are the banned ingredients? As of 2011, these ingredients are methylene chloride, which is also known as dichloromethane or DCM for short. It's a known carcinogen. Chloroform, another known carcinogen. Halogenated salicylanilides. There are four of these. They are carcinogenic. Bithionol. Prohibited cattle material. So with this, there's some restrictions around tallow. Essentially, the whenever cattle material is used in skincare, it needs to have a BSE TSE statement. And this is uh, bovine spongiform encephalitis, aka mad cow disease. So it needs to have a statement that is free from any material that contains BSE or TSE. Zirconium is another banned ingredient by the FDA, vinyl chloride, mercury, glad they included that one, trichloroethane, which is an ozone depleter, and hexachlorophene. With hexachlorophene, the 14th of the list of ingredients, it's okay for use in very specific instances, and it has limits on the maximum concentration that can be used. By comparison, do you care to guess how many ingredients are banned from use in skincare in the EU? 1,328. So what we're going to do today is talk specifically about preservatives and talk about the difference in preservative regulations between the EU and the US. And the reason for this is because this particular class of ingredients is the one where you'll likely find um, the most debate, the most, the, and perhaps the biggest difference between skincare products that are offered in Europe versus the US. And this is kind of where the, um, the ask for the FDA to step in and do additional governance over the cosmetics industry is coming from, is from these preservatives. So in addition to those 1,328 banned ingredients, the EU also has a list of approved preservatives along with their maximum limits that can be used in this skincare product. The limits, also known as concentrations, vary based on the intended use for the product. Limits are typically lower for leave-on products than they are for rinse-off products. And this list is known as the list of preservatives allowed in cosmetic products, or perhaps more commonly for people in the industry, Annex 5. This list includes limits for preservatives ranging from each paraben to phenocyethanol to chlorphenesin and also sodium benzoate. It's a nine page document. It, the version that I'm talking about today was updated in April of 2021. And 
Annex 5, this particular version of Annex 5 includes 60 listed ingredients. There's also another class of preservatives commonly referred to as alternative preservatives. And these preservatives are not found in Annex 5. The reason for this is that these preservatives, these alternative preservatives are multifunctional ingredients. And what this means is that they serve an additional purpose in a formula. For example, fragrance ingredients like fixatives, which help to fix the fragrance and make it linger for longer, that also have antimicrobial properties and perhaps more commonly ingredients that improve skin feel and increase more skin moisturization and also have antimicrobial properties fall into this category of multifunctional ingredients. Um, it's, it's also just possible that these ingredients honestly haven't been out for a while and haven't made it, haven't been added to the list yet. So we'll talk in more detail about alternative preservatives in the next episode. For now, let's talk in more detail about um, what preservatives are regulated in skincare in the EU. We're, today we're going to look at some of the more common ones. We're going to start with parabens. Parabens are a class of molecules, an entire class of molecules, with different side chains hanging off an aromatic ring. And based on the size of that side chain, parabens are limited to 0.4% as a single paraben. So let's say if a company were to use methylparaben only in a in a formulation, then they would be limited to 0.4% for that paraben. Um, some of the longer chain parabens are limited to 0.14%. And then there's an overall limit of 0.8% total parabens within a formula. So if a company were to, for instance, use methylparaben plus ethylparaben plus butylparaben, which is a longer chain paraben, then the total of all three of those would need to be 0.8. And for that butyl, that it would need to be in there at less than 0.4. 0.14. The other two, methyl and ethyl, because those are longer chain, can be in there up to 0.4. Parabens also have added restrictions in products that are intended for use on certain parts of a baby's and a toddler's body. Specifically, they're not to be used in products that are intended for a baby's bottom. And here, because the idea is you don't wanna apply it to broken skin on a baby. Uh, for example, if the baby were to have diaper rash. Parabens with a shorter side chain are more active against bacteria. Those with a longer side chain are more active against yeast and molds. So one of the reasons why parabens were so loved is because you could take some of the shorter chain parabens like methyl or ethyl, and then some of the longer chain parabens like propyl or butyl, add those together and you'd have a complete preservative system. Now, when everybody freaked out over parabens in the early 2000s, phenoxyethanol became the preservative of choice for many skincare products. Phenoxyethanol is limited for use to 1% by Annex 5. So it needs to be in the formulation at 1% or less to comply with Annex 5. 
For phenoxyethanol, while it's quite active against bacteria, it's not as strong of an antimicrobial for yeast and molds. So phenoxyethanol is generally paired with other preservatives or with ingredients that enhance preservative efficacy. And we'll talk about those ingredients later. While phenoxyethanol is a pretty solid preservative from a safety standpoint, so cosmetic ingredient review, which if you haven't heard of cosmetic ingredient review or seen one of these um, white papers before, highly encourage you just to get on Google, type in cosmetic ingredient review and any ingredient that you can think of um, in skincare. And what will pop up likely is about a 60 to 80 page document where cosmetic ingredient review goes through and assesses the safety profile of that ingredient. So according to Cosmetic Ingredient Review, um, what they found was that phenoxyethanol is not photosensitizing. A very low percentage of the population develops an allergy to this particular preservative. It's non-irritating. However, a few years ago, phenoxyethanol came under a great deal of scrutiny. And the reason for this is because it was being used along with chlorpenesin in products that are intended for use as a nipple cream by nursing mothers. FDA cited ingestion of this preservative combo as potentially causing vomiting and diarrhea and potentially suppressing the central nervous system of babies. Based on how the FDA warning letter reads and because of the extensive literature around both chlorpenicin and phenoxyethanol, my takeaway was that chlorpenicin was the particular preservative in this formula that was responsible for those problems. Now, speaking of chlorpenicin, its use is limited to 0.3% for leave-on products per Annex 5. A few of the other more common preservatives include the formaldehyde formers. And here's just a partial list of those. So, so quaternium 15, it's been banned in Europe since 2017. DMDM hydantoin is limited to 0.6% for leave-on products. Imidazolidinol urea is limited to 0.6% for leave-on products. Diazolidinol urea is limited to 0.5% for leave-on products. And sodium hydroxymethylglycinate is limited to 0.5% for leave-on products. The limits for these vary based on how readily preservatives decompose into formaldehyde. In case you're wondering what other ingredients are banned for use in skincare in the EU, you'll find a link in today's show notes to Annex 2, which is the list of substances prohibited in cosmetics in Europe. Continuing on with our discussion of other common preservatives, potassium sorbate and its acid form sorbic acid. Potassium sorbate is a food grade preservative. It's widely used for its mold killing properties. And while this preservative has a fantastic safety profile, there are people who are allergic to potassium sorbate. Because it's quite gentle, Potassium sorbate is approved for use in food. It plays well with other ingredients. And it, this means it's a common choice for use in skincare to boost the antimicrobial capabilities of the product. Potassium sorbate is limited to 0.6% for use in products sold in Europe. Benzoic acid and its salt form, sodium benzoate. 
sodium benzoate and benzoic acid are also especially good preservatives for helping maintain or helping deter um, yeast and mold growth. And they're especially, they work especially well when the pH is under 5.8. And these ingredients are limited to 0.5% for Levon products, limited to 1.7% for oral products, and 2.5% for rinse-off products. And this is a combination of both, so both benzoic acid and sodium benzoate. A few years ago, there was a great uproar over benzoic acid and vitamin C in the form of ascorbic acid, so unstabilized vitamin C, together creating benzene in products. This worry came about due to soft drinks. In low pH environments, in the presence of metal catalysts, so think in a tin can, you know, in an aluminum can, um, some of the trace metals that are present in those aluminum cans, benzoic acid can react with acetic acid to form benzene. And this is, again, under, under very specific conditions. So there needs to be trace uh, metals, metal catalysts. There needs to be a low pH environment. So here, a pH of, uh, it was between three and four and um, without a chelator. So this kind of brings us to the next piece of the conversation, which is what are preservative enhancing ingredients? Preservative enhancing ingredients generally fall into two classes, chelators <laughs> and everything else. And this is especially alternative preservatives. So what are chelators? Well, they're molecules that are shaped to bind metals. This includes sodium and this includes sodium. It also includes minerals like copper, magnesium, zinc, calcium, iron. It also includes things like tin. In other words, most chelators are relatively promiscuous and will bind available metals even when they have a higher affinity for one metal over another. Now, what does this have to do with bacteria? Bacteria require metals for a healthy cell wall. The chelator sequesters those metals so that the cell wall is more fragile, and this makes the cell itself more susceptible to preservatives. Preservatives are able to get through the cell wall easier because they're, uh, the cell wall is more permeable. And once the preservatives have penetrated the cell wall, then they're able to kill the bacteria more readily. Common chelators that are used in skincare are EDTA, most commonly disodium or tetrasodium EDTA. This chelator has a robust safety profile. It's used for chelation therapy in people. So this means that it's injected IV intravenously. The problem with EDTA is that it's widely used and it takes a long time to break down in the environment. The other problem with EDTA is that it's ubiquitous. It's used in fertilizers, food, pharma, skincare. In foods, it's probably most frequently found in soft drinks where sodium benzoate and citric acid are also ingredients because what was found is that by adding um, EDTA is a chelator, then in the presence of those two ingredients, then that 
um, reaction to form benzene no longer happened. It was dramatically um, reduced and benzene was no longer a problem. Other chelators that you might recognize are sodium phytate or phytic acid. This chelator is common in many foods, including grains, nuts, chocolate, and even tea. In other words, this is a natural chelator. Ruminant animals like goats and cows have an enzyme to digest the phytic acid. The rest of us don't. This isn't necessarily a problem because phytic acid doesn't get absorbed from the GI tract in humans and other non-ruminant species. It does, however, mean that any metals that are bound by phytate don't get absorbed. And phosphorus is commonly bound in phytate when it's present in one of these food sources. A topic for a different day is the move to create GMO foods with low phytate levels. Now, my guess is if it's in these foods, nature put it in there for a reason. Anyways, Phytate's a powerful natural chelator, and it's a great choice for natural preservative enhancement. It's also readily biodegradable, so it's a much greener choice than EDTA. Quercetin is another chelator. It's one of these uh, multifunctional ingredients in skincare. Because it's a chelator, it's an antioxidant, it also has anti-inflammatory properties. While we haven't talked about this yet on the podcast, there's a pretty dense blog post over at Rain Organica that discusses the Th1, Th2, Th17 immune pathways. The reason I don't use quercetin as a chelator is because of its immune modulating properties. Specifically, some studies show that quercetin has been shown to downregulate the Th2 pathway by reducing IL-4, interleukin-4, and upregulate the Th1 pathway by increasing IFN gamma. And this is a potential problem for people with eczema and a few other skin conditions that are generally Th1 dominant conditions. For that reason, Rain Organica uses one of the other chelators mentioned here. And as of right now, Rain Organica is using sodium phytate in all products except for Leave No Trace Cleanser. Um, I'm avidly working on an upgrade to the Leave No Trace Cleanser formulation to eliminate EDTA from that one. One more note about quercetin. Any product that contains this ingredient will be yellow in color. And think bright sunshine yellow. It's really quite a lovely color. If the product is not that color, then quercetin isn't there in significant amounts. And what do I mean by significant? Well, I'm talking about 0.2% or so. Um, before I discovered the connection with immunity, I made a bunch of trial formulations with quercetin. And in general, chelators need to be added at a concentration of about 0.1 to 0.25% depending on how strongly chelating they are. Quercetin always resulted in a yellow product. Citric acid. If you have hard water and you need to remove some lime buildup from pots and pans, citric acid is a great, and it's also a cheap choice. Citric acid is natural. 
please note, just because it's naturally occurring doesn't mean that it's naturally processed or even naturally made. We'll talk in more detail about what natural really means in a future episode. All right, so that rounds up a discussion of the major preservatives that you're likely to find in skincare here in the States and what their max levels are in Europe. And yes, I realized for the chelators, we didn't talk about limits for those. In general, for the chelators, those aren't the, you're likely not going to find those on NX5 because they're preservative enhancing ingredients, not necessarily preservatives themselves. So in the next episode, we'll talk all about alternative preservatives. We'll talk about many of the ones that are um, now pretty prevalent in skincare products here in the States and talk about a little bit more about why those work. All right, until next time.